In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, explorer Bigfoot tracker Ron Moorhead discusses his encounters with the elusive giant in the Sierra Nevada mountains. There's one that we call the old man because he had the real grumpy, authoritative voice. But uh, we saw his sizable track away from camp. It was 25 and a half inches, the track was, and it wasn't running. There was 13 feet between them. So you got to do the math yourself on that one and see how tall and how big that thing could have been. I mean, it had to be, had to be 12 foot. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, is coming to Toronto October 18th, 19th, and 20th to present his shocking reversals. And you can meet David and hear this amazing discovery for yourself at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlands Avenue, right across from the Donlands subway station. On Thursday, October the 18th, you'll hear the reverse speech of politicians. That's 7 to 9 p.m., just $10 at the door. Then, Friday, October 19th, the reverse speech of hitmen, mobsters, and serial killers, 7 to 9 p.m., $10 at the door. Finally, 
Saturday, October 20th, I'll be hosting as David solves the JFK assassination using reverse speech, 2 to 5 p.m., $15 at the door. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, as heard on Coast to Coast AM and The Conspiracy Show, October 18th, 19th, and 20th, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlands Avenue in Toronto. For more information, go to reversespeech.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome to your Monday. Ron Moorhead, the author of Quantum Bigfoot and Voices in the Wilderness is standing by with some amazing audio recordings of Bigfoot. Before that, I always like to acknowledge a few people who took the time to write in to tell me a bit about themselves, where they live, how and why they listen to this podcast. Hey Richard, my name is Ian Drury. I discovered you on Coast to Coast AM and now I listen religiously on my phone while I'm at work in Fort Worth, Texas. You're doing a great job and all three of your podcasts are phenomenal. Keep up the great work. I look forward as always to hearing your next show and maybe hearing my name on the air as well. Ian. Thank you, Ian. I'm in Oak Park, Illinois, and almost always use CastBox on my Android phone for your shows. I like the way you're an excellent interviewer, are non-confrontational, and are always polite. Well, thank you. You ask for specifics from your guests, but when you don't get them, you move on and let your audience decide whether they're happy with the response. How do you find your guests? You have a large group of regulars who are very entertaining and knowledgeable, but the new folks you bring on are top drawer, although not always believable. You always manage to keep the topics fresh. Kudos to your staff. Cheers. Dennis Pregrak. Thank you, Dennis. How do I find these guests? Well, most often they find me. Send your emails to richardserrett one at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to Ron Moorhead in these amazing audio recordings. Ron is an adventurist, a positive someone who loves life but often lives it on the edge. As a scuba diver, he swam with hammerhead sharks, has been filmed in Mexico's Pacific Ocean riding the backs of giant manta rays, and has been a safety diver for the filming of right whales in Patagonia. Over the years, Ron has been interviewed by several radio programs and has been televised by the BBC and other learning channels. He has openly shared his knowledge and accounts with others about Bigfoot. His book, Voices in the Wilderness, chronicles his 40 years of researching the enigma. Besides his book, he's produced two CDs with actual Bigfoot vocalizations, focusing on the interaction he and others had with these forest giants. Ron Moorhead, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Well, thank you, Richard. I'm just fine. Thanks for inviting me. So you've uh, you've swam with uh, hammerhead sharks. You've uh, hitched a ride in the back of giant manta rays, and uh, you've trekked through uh, the, the remote regions of the Sierra Nevadas in, uh, in California in search of Sasquatch. Uh, at any point in, in your exploits, have you ever been frightened? Well, actually, uh, we weren't searching for the Bigfoot when we ran into them in California. Uh, they came to our camp that, at night. We're about eight miles in the wilderness, in this wilderness camp that's been there for years. And 
um, really it's it's very imposing area and uh, they start coming into the camp uh, taking our food making these sounds and we went out and uh, came back with recorders and started recording them and it wasn't until 72 when we got uh, Alan Barry who um, was an investigative reporter uh, came to interview us and uh, we invited him up there and he started trying to find who was pulling our leg because <laughs> it's pretty unique how unique it is I had no idea at the time uh, we thought it was just kind of kind of cool but uh, yeah you asked me if it was ever fearful at, at, at the beginning it was the sounds were very aggressive and you just didn't know if what was out there what what they represent and what uh, what could be happening to you you just you don't know if they're going to break in this little shelter we had and eat you or <laughs> if they're going to carry you off in a sleeping bag or if you're going to have to shoot your way out because we all had uh, firearms that's for sure didn't know what kind of a quote-unquote monster we might be dealing with prior to to your encounter had you formed an opinion about bigfoot were you interested in bigfoot no not at all none of us were it's a hunting camp and uh we just happened to be at the spot where they are i guess and no i i didn't i i uh i heard the story from the brothers that went up there earlier in the season when they encountered these uh, sounds and these they saw the big huge five-toed tracks by the by the in the mud and uh, they came out and told it. And anyway, that's when it got kind of uh, interesting to me because prior to that, I didn't even hunt. Uh, I, I didn't start going up there until 71 when this all began. And uh, in retrospect, these things may have been uh, watching the other hunters for some time prior to that. I don't know. They sure uh, were bold, though. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. You were familiar, no doubt, prior to... Uh, to, to your encounter with the Patterson-Gimley uh, film? Yeah, I'd seen it. I was raised up in Fortuna, actually, uh, close to where that was. And uh, at the time, it came out in the paper, and they spoofed it off as uh, some big wild uh, uh, Indian that's <laughs> loose and giant. And, but uh, I didn't think, I didn't go into it then, and I never had been into Bigfoot prior to this. Yeah. But at the time, and after seeing that film, uh, I mean, has did you think did you have one opinion prior to your encounter, and then did you revisit it and reevaluate? Well, yeah, actually, I know Bob Gimlin quite well now. Over the years, we've been some of these meets together and all, and uh, I uh, didn't really even think about it that much until this started happening to us up there, and then uh, you start thinking about it, and you start trying to see the film and see clips and hear what went on, and. Uh, and trying to understand more about what what these things are, because a lot of people at those days anyway uh, just couldn't buy into the fact that there could be a big primate running around loose on this planet, and us not know about it. We're supposed to be top of the food chain, right? <laughs> these things can stay hidden from us, but we can't stay hidden from them. Right, and we'll we'll get into uh, why they may be so elusive and why the evidence is therefore so elusive in in, in a moment. But I want to go back to the recordings. Uh, how many how many recordings to date do you have? Oh gosh, uh, Richard, we got we got hours of them. Uh, don't uh, don't even count them. Um, there's only just so many we've released and and copywritten and I put out. They are the the better ones that we have. Um, Alan Berry got some really good ones, and uh, and he's the one that had those studied at the University of Wyoming. Just make sure they were credible and they were. Uh, we knew they were. He was trying to find a hoax, though. He really, 
was kind of trying to find out who could be pulling our leg. But we're eight miles again back into the wilderness, and uh, nobody's pulling our leg. There's something going on back there, and these things are at the at the core of it. And and to to what extent? I mean, to walk me through how you had these recordings uh, analyzed to determine. You know, to rule out uh, that it, you know, it wasn't some other primate, like a, I don't know, an escaped gorilla from a zoo or, or what have you. What, how did you have them analyzed? Yeah. Well, actually, Alan Berry fostered that study at the University of Wyoming, and a professor, Arlen Curlin, uh, took him on for a year. And he had a hard time at the beginning trying to find someone that would take it seriously. To get a professor to stick his neck out and take on a subject like this is pretty dangerous for the professor. But he did, and he uh, he he uh, gave his report in a, in a conference, actually a symposium in Vancouver, B.C., 1978, and uh, he he determined that their range, this vocal range, that uh, it's probably very improbable any human could do it, is what he came up with, and they were inside and outside and below and above the human range, which suggests that they can mimic just about any animal out there. Uh, it wasn't until 2008 till a cryptolinguist who was um, uh, trained by the Navy to be a cryptolinguist, a two-time graduate from the uh, uh, Language Institute and, uh, of the United States. <clears throat> and he, uh, he got a hold of them, studied them, came out and actually interviewed me and Alan Berry uh, together to find out the context of some of this stuff. Because he thought he heard language. He, I accidentally ran across it. And uh, he is a professional a pr- professional transcriber. That's what he does. He teaches foreign languages now. He teaches Persian and Russian and Spanish and uh, different things in Missouri. But he, I didn't know a guy like that existed, but he said they have a language. Of course, we knew they were chattering amongst themselves, kind of like uh, the report of Albert Osman in Canada in 1924. He said they were chattering amongst themselves. Well, they were chattering amongst themselves up there. We, th- we knew they were communicating with each other, but to have a professional say it's an actual language, and not just a language, a very complex language, and that, that sets it apart because only humans have sapient language, and he said it's sapient language. So that kind of uh, throws another curve in the whole evolutionary chain here. And uh, that's anyway, he, uh, he's broke it apart, and he's actually uh, written out that transcription, which can be viewed on my website. Then it wasn't until just recently, here's the third thing that I think is significant, extremely significant. In one of the sounds, not one of the sounds, but several of the sounds that uh, this guy called Thinker Thunker got a hold of, he uh, analyzed it and he says that one one tone can carry five octaves, and that's inhuman. Uh, No human being that we know of can do that, and no animal on this planet can do that that we know of. But these things do that, at least the ones we encountered do it. We've got the recordings shown by Professor Curlin to have not been manipulated, speeded up, slowed down, ran backwards, anything like that, because that's what was being accused of. Alan Berry, he just got accused of that all the time, because it sounds like you could probably do something like that, manipulate it. But when we had a professor of electrical engineering study them, he said there's no evidence of anything like that. This, this should, these recordings then should be the smoking gun. They, they should, I mean, I mean, why, why is National Geographic not studying this? Why you is know, this? <laughs> Richard, people can't get their head around something out there that can actually uh, talk and, and be so elusive. 
uh, it's amazing. Yeah, they, they, it is the smoking gun. I think it's the most significant information available for the existence of these beings. And they are beings. They, they're, they're, I think, part human, but we'll get into that later. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, it's the smoking gun, but no one wants to uh, admit it. It's just I talk with professors and I talk with learned people who all the time who just can't understand how something like that. They've got their mind made up of what they think these things should be, and they've got to fit in that box they've got. <laughs> and that's too bad because they won't open their minds up and realize there's people saying these things, or making these sounds like I've got recorded, saying this stuff all the time. They tell me I heard sounds just like that over someplace else, and da 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 da. And yet, uh, I guess these scientists and these professional people who stick with classical science, which says everything has to be seen and uh, everything does not have to be seen that exists. That's where I get into my advanced <laughs> little bit of speech here on quantum physics because uh, yeah it's it's a tough one to get these guys to swallow this but this last thing we just had with this thinker thunker I'm trying to get that corroborated now by a professional uh, technician and if that's corroborated that that has got to open some eyes up There's, these sounds are, are extremely unique and why we got them and how we got them I mean my gosh I don't know uh why these things decide to interact with us like they did, but they did. This happened for over years. It didn't just happen one night, you know, when we went back with tape recorders. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's uh, let's let's hear the first recording. First of all, this was uh, this is labeled uh, aggressive display. This is aggressive display seventy two. I guess meaning it was recorded in nineteen seventy two. Correct. Okay. Alan Berry actually recorded this one. This is one of the ones that uh, he had studied at the University of Wyoming. Just take a moment and, and give us the the uh, particulars. Uh, the the who, what, why, where, and when this was recorded. Uh, it was recorded in 1972 by Alan Berry, and he had his mic remoted about 40 feet uh, above our shelter. Uh, it's kind of on a slope, and we were inside the shelter when this was going on, and these things were 
come around making the noises at night. And uh, this recording we had uh, called the aggressive recording. It's uh, it sounds aggressive because you don't know at that time. We just didn't know if they were going to come in. I mean, we all had firearms ready to go, but uh, this we found out later. I think it's two of them arguing uh, over probably the food that we left out. That's what we hope anyway, not the they thought they might get if they broke in the shelter. <laughs> and can you tell me a little bit about the recording equipment? What kind of mic? Uh, you know, I should know that, uh, but I, I can't tell you that right now. Wasn't like a parabolic? Wasn't like a Sony, a, a little Sony uh, cassette. They're they're all cassettes. That's all we had in those days. Right. And the mic that went with this little Sony and run off batteries. So it wasn't it wasn't a real sophisticated field equipment. It was just what you, whatever you had, sort of com, a consumer grade type um, recording equipment. Yeah, it's the only thing you could get a hold of in those days that uh, that would handle the portability. Because you check something in on mules and go that far, and you want to make sure it works when you get there. But yeah, it was it was I had a recorder because it burned up in a house fire a few years later with all my tapes, by the way. And uh, it was top of the line, the best you could get that would run off batteries, because it has to run off batteries. And again, in those days, in the 70s, uh, you didn't have uh, what we have now as far as technology goes. That's true. All right, let's have a listen to this aggressive display. All right, so that sounds like one individual to my untrained ear, um, but, but were there two? Well, we think there were two. Um, yeah, it did sound like one uh, that, on that recording. We have another recording. I guess I should have sent you that one, Richard. Sorry. That's all right. But, but it, where two of them were arguing. It sounded like they were arguing. And that's that's what I was referring to. It is. Her. It's very guttural. It's uh, it's it uh, it's it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Tibetan throat singers. Mm. Yeah, that was mentioned to me by a professor one time. They can do that, uh, but they can't. I don't think get five octaves in one note. No, they cannot do that. Um, and when when this was being recorded, uh, and you were also hearing it in live time in in the shelter. Correct. And at this point, you, you thought perhaps they may be crashing through the shelter. Um, you weren't sure, so you had firearms at the ready. That's correct. Yeah, we did. Uh, in fact, one of the guys, he was shaking. He just, uh, it just frightened him so bad. And uh, he didn't go back ever that I know of, not and spent the night anyway. You, you had pack mules with you? How did they react? Well, uh, on this particular trip... Uh, I don't remember if we had them that night. Yeah, I think we did. Well, you know, they were, uh, anytime these things were around, these things were like they were frozen. They didn't rear up or scratch or do anything like that they do when a bear comes around, because we do have bear up there, a lot of bear. But uh, they they just would point their ears towards the sound and uh, just, just stand there like they were frozen. And I can relate to that because I had it happen to me one time when we stepped outside and one of them was out there. I got frozen. <laughs> frozen. Uh, well, I said with frozen. fear, like with fear. No, you know, I said I said that to a scientist one time. He said, "I don't want to hear about your fear." And I said, "You know, we weren't afraid of this. At this time, 
we knew they weren't going to eat us. We were getting kind of a little bit bold. So me and Warren Johnson jumped out of the shelter right quick through the log door opening and uh, walked up. It was bright moonlit night. We thought sure that we was going to see it run off you know, and we was going to get a good view of one because they're very stealthy, very elusive. And uh, we didn't see it going anywhere. So we started walking up towards that tree, huge tree, and uh, all of a sudden he and I at the same time just got frozen in our tracks. Like a, I, I related like a force field in my book, Voices in the Wilderness. It just sounds, it, it, it just, the scientist says, well, if, it has to be something like infrasound or pheromones that can stop you like that. Because we weren't afraid. We, we just, I wasn't afraid anyway. And uh, Warren told me, he said, I can't go any further. And I looked over, we're about 15 feet apart. And I said, I can't either. It's like you're hitting a wall that you can't see. <clears throat> so we walked back. As soon as we got back in the shelter, it started mouthing off again, this thing did. So uh, I don't know what kind of trick that was. But at the time, I thought, well, it must be infrasound, which can paralyze people or affect people, let's put it that way. Where pheromones only work within the same species. So now if they are part human, now I have to back up with that. Ah, right. Maybe maybe it was pheromones, or maybe they have some other way of doing that, entangling your mind or something. So in in all this time, have you ever caught a glimpse of one? Yes. 1974, I've got a good glimpse of one. I say good glimpse, it wasn't really that good, but it was when the... Uh, this one was crying up behind us. There was three of them in camp. And this is the first time they ever came in when we were outside the shelter. And uh, that was pretty cool. But there was three of them. We think an adolescent, a female, and a male is what we think. Uh, I seen this one that called the samurai cry. And uh, he was crying up behind me or making that sound. And then I, shot, I see him shoot down uh, towards the other two, which were down by the creek. And uh, we have a small voice recorded, so we know we think that was a small one and the mother and that samurai cry might have been telling them to stay back from us. I'm not sure that's what I've been told by somebody who thinks they know. But uh, I don't know if anybody knows until you can ask them and let them tell you. Yeah, yeah that's what he's doing. <laughs> but it was a fun night. That's when I started interacting with them, started yelling out at them, and they would yell back at me. And I was trying to mimic them, actually, and it's got that on my on my CD. But when you say you, you caught a kind of a fleeting glimpse, what, did. What, what did yeah. you see? I seen this huge, whatever was making that sound, shooting down from my, well, I guess I want to call it my my 9 o'clock position down to a 6 o'clock position through the woods. Probably about uh, 50, 75 yards of running, and it was running so fast. These things are uh, unbelievably fast. And it was smooth. It wasn't like it was lobbing, jumping over logs or nothing, yet there was logs there. So how it how it ran like that i don't know but uh i got my ideas but very fast in a sense of its size girth uh no not i i could guess at it but it'd just be a guess uh it was huge they're all huge (laughs) except for the little ones (laughs) uh we had uh, tracks up there the average track around camp was um was about 19 to 22 inches uh so there was a couple families up there uh during uh, 1972 and 1974 when this other type of vocalizations came in I say other type it was just more communicative type uh, vocalizations uh, there was only three sizes of tracks a little nine inch track from a young one and an 18 inch track we think from the mother and these were found in the snow up there 
And uh, then we have this huge truck from this guy behind me uh, did the samurai cry. And uh, I don't know that we found his track. Now, we were going to play the Samurai Cry third, but with your permission, since you've referenced it, we're going to play the Samurai Cry now. Right there, I just seen movement right through there. All right, wow, there's a lot going on there. There's a very high-pitched kind of call. There's a lower pitch, uh, and then there's um, a slightly lower pitch, and then there is what actually sounds, uh, well, there's towards the very end, there's a human voice, but in the middle, there's some chatter that does sound almost human. So mm -hmm. so walk me through, there's a lot, of go lot going on there. Well, you, uh, <clears throat> I was... I was talking to them that night, or yelling back at them, and there was a lot going on, and this went on for an hour, and uh, what you're hearing there is uh, just a, a snippet of, of what went on, but it seemed like they were asking me a question that night, too, it, it, it had an intonation of, da 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 what do you think of this, and <laughs> I come back like that, and then you hear something sounds almost like they're laughing a little bit, but uh, it was just a real busy night. Uh, we knew not to shine flashlights at them. It was a, a bright moonlit night, though. At 8,400 feet, the elevation was our camp, and well, I tell you, when the moon's shining up there, you can see just about read a newspaper. It's so so bright. And uh, but one of them, uh, yeah, I got shooting down, but to the other two. So uh, when you say you knew not to shine flashlights at them. How did you know not to, why? Because we've done it before, and that, that gets rid of them real quick, and we didn't want to get rid of them. Uh, we, we learned a long time ago, they don't mind the, uh, the amber light of the fire, or, but if you shine a white light up, it seems like it bothers them. Either that or they just don't want to be exposed, but we had lanterns, and we always burned oil in the lanterns that gave out an amber glow, and that didn't seem to bother them, but if you put a white light out, it, it seemed to bother them. Do maybe it's because maybe they get blinded by white lights like we do. I don't know. Do they leave any other signs aside from tracks? Do they, I've heard from some, uh, and this may be apocryphal, but some Bigfoot researchers, quote, end quote, claim that they will manipulate twigs and stones and make almost glyphs. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that? Oh, I've heard that a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, I, there's a whole group of people that... Um, but. Truthfully, we didn't even look for that stuff up there. I mean, there's so many limbs and things to fall, and you don't know, you don't even think about them leaving glyphs, but that isn't surprising if they do, because even the natives years ago would leave glyphs for the, somebody else to follow so they'd know where to go. But uh, these things, uh, they may do that, but I didn't notice it. We didn't even look for that sort of stuff. What about scat? We found some scat one time up by where we thought one was, where one had been, and uh, Al Berry sent it off to, uh, I think it was Texas A&M, but at that time, they, could, they was just trying to tell us what uh, what what it ate, and uh, it's like a primate, it would eat berries mostly, and then, but it's masticated, you know, which means chewed, whereas uh, bear scat is not like that, it's totally different. And uh, also the hair, we found some hair and set that off, and they could tell us, again, what it wasn't. It wasn't anything they knew of. It wasn't a bear, it wasn't a horse, it wasn't a deer. 
they couldn't tell us what it was in those days. So anyway, it's all gotten lost or thrown away in a trash can somewhere years ago. Hey, great news, rock and roll Twilight Zone fans. RRTZ is now available on Spotify. If you like rock and roll and mysteries, check out the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, part of the Jericho Network in association with Westwood One. New episodes drop every Wednesday. This week, the premiere of Season 2, The Lifetimes and Tragic Death of ACDC's Bon Scott. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, now available on Spotify. reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. When was your last uh, trip up there to the uh, Sierra Nevadas? Uh, just last July. And are you still getting recordings? No. No, there was absolutely nothing happened up there. There were so many fires in California. It was so smoky. And uh, it wasn't too long after we left. Within a week, the whole camp and everything, all the forest had burned up up there. So it's all gone now. Oh, dear. That's too bad. Uh, over the years, have you been able to identify certain individuals? So you, maybe even you name them so you know when you get some one of them on a recording you know, this is the male, this is the adolescent, This and it's it's the same year after year? No, there's one that we call the old man because he had the real grumpy, authoritative voice. And um, we think we just called him the old man when we heard that sound. But uh, we saw his sizable track uh, away from camp. And uh, I, I didn't tell people how big that was, but... It was 25 and a half inches, the track was, and it wasn't running. There was 13 feet between them, and we tracked it for a way, so they just went off into oblivion where we couldn't go. Uh, so you got to do the math yourself on that one and see how tall and how big that thing could have been. I mean, it had to be had to be 12 foot. Oh, my. A stride of 13 feet, sure. Yeah. Gosh. It was, if I hadn't seen that myself, ran across it myself, I'm not sure I'd have believed it. So for a long, long time, I didn't tell people about that track. Because, <laughs> you know, people can believe there's an 8-foot-tall Bigfoot, but somehow they don't. They can't, they can't buy a 12-foot-tall one. But, you know, since then, I've talked to people that said they thought they saw King Kong. Uh, they're just, uh, they saw a 12-foot-tall Bigfoot. I've had more than, more than probably three or four people tell me they saw one that big. And not in our area, either. They were... An Oregon, one of them. You've been to Siberia. You've looking for Yeti. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you any recordings from there? No, no. They, we went over. I went over with a couple of professors uh, sponsored by the Russian government uh, to investigate. But they took us to the sites uh, where we found a tracks and found a cave and went into the cave. But when they take you to a place to show you. Uh, you can't 100% say that they didn't make it. <laughs> you know, you got to discover that stuff for yourself to know for sure. So we were, you know, pretty 95%, I think, is what we gave it. Because you got to leave yourself an out just in case somebody was messing around with you. Uh, but it was a filming thing, too. Just about every country 
was there except for the United States filming us. And uh, it might have been, I don't know, but the Shore people, S-H-O-R, uh, village way back in Siberia, you know, take, took us way back into a place, miles into the wilderness to this huge cave that you could drive a truck into. And I went in, and uh, sure enough, I seen a track, and I told the doctor, come over and look at this. And he did, and they were filming it all. So again, you don't know when someone takes you to something, just if, if it's real or not. And of course, we didn't have casting material or nothing like that to really study it. But, but does, does anyone have recordings such as the ones that you have? Have you heard anything similar? No. That's, that's what's so unique about it. People tell me they heard those type of sounds, but they're usually not out there camping, having fun with a tape recorder. You know, they, they're not recording them. I've had people play my sounds. I had a guy, one guy, he was, uh, he played the sounds when he saw one up on a ridge and then come crashing down at him. So I don't encourage people to play these sounds to try to track these things. Uh, they may be saying something you may not want them to say. <laughs> Right, you right. Maybe calling a confirmator or something. You don't know. <laughs> uh, now, you, you mentioned the reticence of uh, mainstream science, the mainstream scientific community, to to jump on board. Uh, and it's one thing if we're talking about some, uh, you know, heretofore uncatalogued um, animal, mammalian species, but. It goes off wildly in another direction, which is sure to clear the room, and and that gets us into this discussion about why they're so elusive, and this this quantum theory that's attached to Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. What does quantum mathematics have to do well, with the Bigfoot? Quantum theory is, is my theory. Actually, I come up with it because I had to get some kind of science behind what what's happened to me up there. We had lights. We had. Uh, crazy things going on, sounds that we could not identify. I don't mean just vocalizations. I mean big humming tuning fork sounds, big thing. In daytime, you couldn't see where it's coming from. It's right above you someplace. And and you one time, and I tell people this, uh, we thought our camp was being torn apart outside the shelter. The, the barrels that we had strapped to the trees were being torn up, we thought. And we looked out there later when all the commotion stopped and nothing was moved, nothing was changed. One time, here we are, eight miles in the wilderness, I thought I heard a car door slam outside. <laughs> now, how does that happen? There's something going on that, that we can't understand. Al Berry had a master's degree in science, and he said, whatever you do is keep with science on this. Well, classical science, which Newtonian physics, basically, uh, is what we were trained in grade school. It's what we all accept because it's, it's based on everything being physical or material. And, and you get into quantum science, and it was created by uh, Einstein, and uh, not Einstein, but Pallack. And uh, Einstein picked up the wand and kept going with it. But uh, this is just 100 years old, this uh, quantum physics, quantum mechanics. But it gets into the other dimensions that exist. And we live in a three-dimensional environment. Our world is three-dimensional. We see in three dimensions. Um, according to the math in quantum physics, there's 11 dimensions. And when you you think about that, how, we don't know what those are. We can't see them, but they say they're there. Well, it, could religion calls that heaven? I think quantum physics calls it dimensions. So I think there's a definite parallel with spirituality and quantum physics. I even get into my book about how Christ did his miracles. I think he did it through the laws of quantum physics. And he says, whatever I'm doing, you can do. Well, 
gosh, we're not walking on water yet, so we must got a ways to go. <laughs> uh, quantum physics is, is uh, I think, the answer to, to how, well, it is the answer to how all things work in the universe. Because in classical science, which that's what we all go by, pretty much, uh, everything can be measured. Uh, whatever it is, you can measure it, whatever speed. Um, but in quantum physics, no, you can't measure it. It's something you can't see. And uh, where classical science, you have to see it. It's, it's just that way. I got a quote here from Tesla, I could say. He says, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of existence. I really like that statement. And uh, I think that probably happened in what happened in 2012 with that Mayan calendar. I thought the, everybody thought the world was going to come to an end. I think that's when our eyes are starting to get opened and, and some new information is coming in through the tubes. Right, right. I, I liken it to um, we're like the, the, the koi in a koi pond. And we know straight ahead. We know left, right, and maybe we can look down to the bottom. Uh, we can sort of look up, but we have really no, a koi has really no perception of what's beyond the surface of the water. So Sasquatch is lurking just above perhaps the, the koi pond, but occasionally dips his finger down into the koi pond. <laughs> That's a really good analogy, Richard. i got to hand it to you. i got to use that one. Can I borrow that? Somewhere? Absolutely. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yes, I think you're right on it. I think he works, he can be in another dimension. Are they flesh and blood? Absolutely, because what we had up there was flesh and blood. What we were some of those enigmas going around it was not flesh and blood. That's what that's what puzzled me. And that's what got me into quantum physics is trying to figure out how that stuff's going on. And I was raised in church. I'm not a religious person at all. But uh, even Einstein said, "Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind." He put them together. They did that 100 years ago. Well, classical sciences doesn't use that. They, they're in parameters that have so many uh, disciplines and restrictions. Uh, it just isn't working for what these things are. How they change and how they can become invisible, can they be invisible? Yes, they can. And there's a science behind how that happens. It's called vibrational frequency. You can change your vibrational frequency to something that's outside of our light parameter which light itself has a frequency and if these things can operate outside that frequency we won't see it anything operating outside this frequency of three dimensions we won't see because once you go past faster than the speed of light um, you cease to exist as matter you, you exist only as energy and uh, anyway there's a lot to it I get all that Really, I get excited about it. If I get carried away, just stop me. But uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I think I'm really onto something here, Richard. And and yet I, I'm having a hard time convincing people because I get maybe a little too deep in it sometimes. But I tried to keep on layman's term in my book, the Quantum Bigfoot. Uh, well, that's that's always the the danger when you're trying to drag sort of orthodox science behind you that if we get too far over our skis is kind of the term that's in vogue these days uh, you know we, we we run the risk of losing the room um, it's sort of like baby steps I guess do you ever yeah. think maybe maybe it's best to park the quantum thing and let's just focus on getting the scientists on board that, that this is a mammal that we don't know about yet that's where they are now yeah the scientists are there now the ones that accept you know like the ones I, I know about, except 
pretty much that these things exist. There's just too much evidence. I mean, the, the footprints that are sitting in, there's, there's hundreds of those sent into this one scientist I'm aware of, and he, they have dermal ridges, which just like a fingerprint and you, you, around their feet. <laughs> it's like what well, we do too, but these things are different. And you can't fake that. So he's on board with thinking these things probably exist. There's enough evidence that we should be pursuing it. But again, you can't, because of the cartoonish name of Bigfoot, you can't get serious PhDs to jump on board with it. They might lose their tenure at the college. They they suffer from, uh, and this is like, I got a classical one right here where I live in Squim, Washington, uh, uh, Grover Krantz, who made a statement, I put that in my book too, how his... His whole, uh, he was studying Bigfoot, and he believed in him because he, he had remnants of the Gigantopithecus, which was a 10 to 12 foot tall, mm-hmm. they, think, they think it was upright uh, type gorilla type entity being. But he took a beating with his, uh, and he uh, made a statement that I, uh, he just, you can't, you can't get these guys to jump on board until, now I got a hand, the Russians are doing that. They're trying desperately to, to get up on board with uh, the fact that they exist. But we know they exist. I don't try to convince anybody that they exist. I, I just try to convince them what what I think they could be and what they might represent. There's a bigger picture of this whole thing. It gets into uh, Greek mythology with demigods uh, impregnating humans. It gets into uh, biblical texts with um, fallen angels, which were aliens uh, impregnating humans. Right. Corrupt right. the human genome. And it, it just goes into all those things. And uh, uh, there were giants here then, and there's giants here now. These are, the ne- should... these are the Nephilim. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, that's exactly right. You get into the book of Enoch, which uh, yes. I uh, ascribe to. It just uh, uh, gives you a lot of what these giants were doing and what was going on. That's that's the reason for the flood, uh, for the whole earth to get white. Because all the human genome except for um, uh, Enoch's... Uh, Great great grandson, which was Noah. That's right. God said and, it's uh, time to it's time to chlorinate the gene pool. <laughs> yeah, clean it up, and he did. Yet in Numbers thirteen thirty three and thirty four, you find where the Nephilim were here again when the children of Israel went in to take the land of you know uh, that they were promised, and they come back and say, "Hey, the Nephilim are there." Well, how they get there? This is after the flood, four hundred years after the flood. Well, I got my theory on how that happened too. There's two ways it could have happened, but. I, either through Ham, which was one of Noah's son's wife, because there were several millions of people on the earth by the time the flood came. And uh, Ham's wife could have carried that, that gene of the giants, because there were giants up there, uh, like Goliath, he was there, and his brothers, they were all big. And uh, anyway, uh, you've got that, and uh, then you've got the other theories about if fallen angels or aliens could do it once they could do it again and they came down to earth they come in now i think they're here now i mean they, they could be messing around with human genomes as we speak let's uh let's play another recording this one is uh labeled rhythmic sequence uh you want to set this one up for us yeah kind of uh, i just threw that one in because uh we don't know what the thing was doing we wasn't watching it do this but it was sure slapping around and making some really rhythmic sounds, and they are rhythmic. I mean, uh, when they pop rocks together, uh, you hear them doing it in rhythm. I've got some of that recorded too on my second CD. And uh, I don't, we don't know, it's just, it's a curious, it's a curious recording, and I 
thought you might like to hear it. Okay, let's listen to it. All right, now, are those stones? Those are rocks that he's uh, clicking together. Don't know. Oh. Didn't see him doing it. That's what I tell people, too. If you don't see what made the sound, you don't know. You can only guess. Now, I've heard what we thought was rocks. Uh, I've heard what we thought was tree knocks. And uh, you, can, you can assume that stuff, but your brain's a funny thing. It can make up a lot of stuff and fill in the blanks pretty easy. Uh, but... I th- it's almost sounded like he's flapping on his leg or on a rock or something like that, yeah. And you had the sense that they, at a certain point, they wanted to they wanted to interact with you. They did interact with me. Right. You know? uh, they they wanted to and they did. And I tell that people, too, if, if it's all, all going to be on their term and their time, you can't make anything happen. People want to know, what do you do, what do you do? Well, you just be still and be the right kind of person to have your head in the right spot. And I also think, and I get into this in my book too, uh, about the sleep stages when you get into a relaxed, uh, just before you get into the uh, alpha state. You we're in beta state right now, thinking, you know, doing. But just when you relax and you're not thinking about anything, you're just kind of mellow. You're going into the beta state, and that's I think has something to do with this because that's when your vibrational frequency lowers at nighttime. It'll lower to like eight hertz, and then you get. Uh, the Earth's vibrational frequency is eight too. It lowers at night. Uh, if these things are part of the uh, environment, like we think they are, uh, if their vibrational frequency matches ours, it might be more easier for them to communicate with some people that aren't uptight. So I tell people, don't get uptight. Just relax, have fun, and and be still. Let them do what they want to do if they're going to do it. I do have telltale signs of what what to listen for. And it's not the owl; it's the 800-pound owl. They they have a, (laughs) it's 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 they can sound like an owl, but but their amplitude gives them away. I tell you, when they would yell at us or yell outside our shelter, they could almost vibrate the shelter. It was just it's like a two-legged elephant walking around out there too. It just they can't hide their amplitude, and uh, that's how I could tell the difference. They don't have an inside voice, as I tell my kids. Use your inside voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's quite a ride I've been going on with this stuff, you know, and I, I don't know why I, I got chosen for this, but I have, and I appreciate it, and I, I've had a really good life doing this, and uh, I just hope that smoking gun you're talking about, uh, this just kind of ties another little puts another dot in the picture that we're drawing well how could you your your life's trajectory not be altered by by this type of evidence i mean where do you what do you do with it now i mean you must want to just i mean if it were me i'd be just you know proselytizing on the street corner saying you got to listen to this you got to (laughs) listen what do you do with this now where do you go well you can't push it you you have to just say what you know and what you think you know and just you, you can't you know, until people ask you something, you can't really answer them. And I can't go out there, uh, you know, I can say I'm a voice crying in the wilderness like that, you know. But, and I, I think sometimes that's 
maybe what I should do. I, that's why I speak at these conventions and I speak at um, programs like yours, and and I'm very uh, pleased about that. I'm honored that I can do that because at least it gets what I think I know and the information, this information out. As uh, I think the world needs to know, and even in uh, Luke, or the book of Luke, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so should it also be in the second coming. Well, well, I was in the days of Noah. You had the Nephilim here. You had the corruption going on. Uh, giants were here. Well, giants are here now. I had to tell people that. Giants are here now, and they some of them are bad and some of them are good. Depends on which alien did what with the nuclear DNA. You know, the maternal DNA, I think, is going to show human in most of all these because I think they've inbred with humans. But the nuclear DNA, which is the male counterpart, right. that that is what's unknown. And that's what's uh, puzzling people because they can't find what that is out of 224 billion in the gene bank. They can't match it with anything. Well, that's, to me, that's alien influence. I mean, it's just, and how many different aliens have been here over the eons and eons of time, and what have they done? I mean, is there a, is there a, a, a wolf man? What about uh, Skywalker? You know, not Skywalker. Skin, Sky, oh, Skinwalker. the Skinwalkers. Yes, yes. Yeah, Skinwalker Ranch. Right. I right. say that because last year I was up there. Year before last year, I was up there in this lightsaber. It was just a strange. Looked like a lightsaber in Star Wars. You know, comes floating by our tent. Oh my. <laughs> What do you do with that? I mean, where do you go with that? It, it's definitely controlled, moving between the trees, and you just, gosh, uh, it's weird. You don't know if it's going to come, uh, uh, what it's going to do. You don't know if it's, well, that, just don't know. Well, there, in, there is the rub. That the, these recordings are not only the smoking gun, but they're the Pandora's box. And once we, we go, we dive into that pool, there's no going back, and that changes everything. And that's, Maybe why we're all running scared. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm running towards it, not away from it. So <laughs> it's uh, I hope to find out more. I, I I open up every day. I I'm on the computers too much. Actually, my wife says I just got too much uh, involved in this. I, I I try to answer everybody that asks me something. I give my best. And I had somebody asked me just recently, uh, what do you think about the dog man and the. Uh, uh, interdimensional and, and devils and da 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 da. And I said, you know, nothing in this field, nothing surprises me anymore. When you know, start trying to understand quantum physics, you'll find that you just can't get your head around it. If you can't tell me, nobody can. I, I was challenged on this one time. So you tell me, if everything's measurable, how far is it to the end of the universe? Hmm. You know, it stops people right there. And because uh, you can't. And what could possibly be at the end of it? What could possibly be there? There can't be an end to it. So once you get your head around that fact, and that is a fact, how then you can open your mind up maybe to other things. But you don't want to open your mind up so much that your brains fall out. True. You want to keep you want to keep you want to keep your feet on the ground with this stuff and and have fun with it. I've tried to have fun with it too, but I'm I'm serious about what I believe, and what I believe is that they are uh, a diluted form of some type of hybrid. Uh, from alien intervention into a genome of an animal or a human or maybe a gorilla, who knows. But uh, they've got their sentience and their sapience from that. And that's where we got it, too. I think we're hybrids, too, but we're from a very special being, the god of all gods. You know, we're, we're a very special uh, you, you, human race. You got that we've right. Been given, yeah, we've been given uh, 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 
dominance, but dominion on the earth. And that's why I think these things are not allowed to intervene with us. We have to live out our own karma, our own destiny. We have to work this out ourselves. And because uh, I wonder why they don't come out and befriend me. You know, they've never tried to eat me or nothing. So uh, they know who I am. Uh, they, there's, they're entities that, that can turn from mass into energy and then energy back into mass and walk through a wall like that. <laughs> It's absolutely stunning. Give us a, a website, Ron, where people can uh, uh, order the, uh, the, the Quantum Bigfoot and uh, the Voices in the Wilderness and the audio recordings. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my website, Ron Moorhead, M-O-R-E-H-E-A-D.com, and, or BigfootSounds.com. Uh, all this stuff can be ordered that way or on Amazon. The books are on Amazon. I don't have the CDs on Amazon, but the books are. And uh, I can order them through Amazon or through my my site. The CDs, actually, the Voices in the Wilderness come with a CD, not one like the other two that I produced. But uh, I put a CD in there when I get to the context of the sounds, because it's my forty-year chronicle. You get to the context of the sounds, you'll hear the sound that I'm talking about, and uh, that's nice. People like that one. Ron, thank you so much for spending some time with me. This is uh, this is absolutely mind-blowing stuff. Well, thank you, Richard. I'm, I appreciate you asking me on. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. And many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, the great Jim Harold, the host of the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire, drops by with some amazing tales of the supernatural. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.